0: You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Nick Westergaard hosts a great podcast called On Brand. Nick, tell us what these fine folks will get out of listening.
1: On Brand features my conversations with smart marketers and agency professionals, as well as those working for innovative brands like Adobe Ben & Jerry's, MasterCard, Salesforce, and more. Tune in and you'll learn how to tell stronger stories and build better brands.
0: Amazing. Where can people
1: Subscribe. You can go to onbrandpodcast.com, find the show at marketingpodcast.net, or search for On Brand with Nick Westergaard wherever you get your podcasts.
0: That's two A's in Westergaard. You heard him. Go subscribe. Hey everyone, you are
2: listening to another episode of the All Things Private Practice Podcast. I am re releasing three of my favorite episodes from 2022 and 2023 to get us through the next couple of weeks. The reason I'm doing this is life is busy. A lot of the holidays are happening and the new year, and I think that these three episodes will be really helpful in your entrepreneurial journey. These things are super important, and we're going to start it off with a conversation with Jenny Schottmiller of Simple Profit for Mental Health Clinicians, and she talks about taxes, making them not scary, not overwhelming, and really allowing you to just get more and more comfortable with the idea of What do I need to do this year so I'm not that overwhelmed next year? Because we all know what it's like to get to the end of the year and be like, oh, shit, here we go again. So that's number one. Number two is we are re-releasing an episode that I did with Jeff Gunther, or Therapy Jeff, as he's so well-known on TikTok and Instagram, called Peeing Your Pants and Other Private Practice Fears. I think this is really important for those of you who are still afraid to go into practice or you're in practice and you're feeling fraudulent, like you don't know enough, like you have that major imposter syndrome or self-doubt. Plus, it's just a really funny conversation and I almost fell out of my chair while he was telling his story. And then I'm going to be re-releasing an episode I did with Dr. Megan Neff, my co-host from Diverging Conversations. And it's all about autism acceptance and our own journeys as autistic ADHD mental health professionals and entrepreneurs, human beings, et cetera. And I think that's a great episode because it's full of information. It is really in alignment with who we both are as human beings and professionals and mental health clinicians. And I think it's just really, really valuable for those of you who are neurodivergent, questioning if you're neurodivergent, if you have someone in your family, a friend group, or if you just want to learn more, your coworkers, et cetera. See you again in three weeks. Have a wonderful, wonderful new year. I hope that everything is really able to be zoomed out on so that you can just take a look at this last year. Get rid of the stuff that you don't want more of in 2024. Add more of the stuff that you do. You deserve it. Doubt yourself. Do it anyway. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Hey everyone, you are listening to another episode of the All Things Private Practice podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Casal, joined today by Jenny Schottmiller. She is a remarkable human being who is an accountant, CPA, and an LMFT owner of Simple Profit, which is a business designed to help mental health clinicians really learn more about the tax process, which scares the shit out of all of us. And then also a private practice therapist outside of Philadelphia. Jenny, I'm just really happy to have you on here. And I will say this, I'm a Facebook group moderator. Your Facebook group is by far the best on the Internet. Like it is so freaking helpful and I really appreciate it.
3: Thank you. I I like it too. And I, I hear that from people. And I think it's just because it's, I don't know if this is the right word, but I have it well controlled. And I think there's something to be said for having a place to go that's for a specific topic and having the moderation of that space be limited to that specific topic for the most part, because you can kind of go in out get what you need and and then move on with your life which is kind of how you want accounting to be. You want it to be like I got what I need and I then I moved on. Accounting isn't is important, but it isn't supposed to take over. And there are so many feelings of like you said being overwhelmed and negative experiences that when you can go to a place, find what you need, get clarity and then say, oh, and now I don't have to worry about it. That's what you want. And so I think that's why people like that Facebook group is the organization around the topic and it giving you something you need without dominating, taking over your life, but adding value, adding value.
2: Adding value is a a good way to look at that. And I think you're right because it's so tangible, right? Like come in, get information on quarterly taxes, get information on deduction or the ppp madness that was happening for so long that you were doing such a wonderful job helping with and then being able to be like all right wipe your hands and leave where a lot of the therapist facebook groups are like can be shit shows and like i try really hard to maintain mine but it still doesn't mean that it doesn't get away from you sometimes and it's it feels like a different beast and yours has grown to th- over 30,000 people. Like the fact that you and I are sitting here today and talking, I'm like, holy shit. Like Jenny, you have a lot going on where you're moderating this. So kudos to you. Um I want to talk about the topic that scares a lot of therapists and small business owners, which is tax related, and you have the unique kind of position of being a clinician and an accountant, and I think that's really incredible. So Can you talk a little bit about like transitioning from one to the other and and vice versa? Like you started as an accountant, right? Like you didn't start as a mental health clinician.
3: Correct. And before that, I started as a pizza delivery person and a waitress. And I think my whole life has been letting my ADHD take me from whatever (laughs) thing I was doing to the next thing. And I joke and I like to tell my kids, you know, I had like 18 jobs before I went to college successfully. I went to college unsuccessfully. And then I started working, which is was important. I needed to just go work. And one day I was sitting at work and I was talking to my mom and I worked at a glass installation place. And I was like that admin person. I ordered the glass. I made the schedule. And I was talking about the parts of my job that I liked. And my mom said, that sounds like accounting. And I said, well, what is accounting? Even though my dad was an accountant, he had died when I was young. And so I didn't really know. And so I decided to go take an accounting class. And I was like, my brain works like this. I can organize these things in this way that accountants do. So I had an aptitude for it. So I thought, okay, all right, maybe this will be my thing. And went to school, started working, did well. And then, you know, life happens. And I ended up needing to go to therapy Big life changes in my life, relationship-wise, and I needed to go sort myself out. And again, my mother said, "You need to go to therapy." And I said, "Oh, I know, but I had a daughter, and I was going through divorce, and I'm like, I I gotta find someone. That's so hard." And she's like, "You have to go to therapy." And I'm like, "I oh, you know." And she's like, "Have you called the therapist yet? Have you looked? You need to look." And she didn't let up until I went, and that changed my life. And I left after two years, saying, "Wow, therapists are cool." How awesome is it to help people change their lives? And noticing that I didn't get distracted when I was in a therapy chair in a therapy room. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if the main part of my job what, didn't involve distractions that I had to constantly fight? As an accountant, there's a lot of paperworky things. And so there's, and there's a computer. And there's a, we didn't have smartphones then, but we, we just got distracted a lot. And I thought, wow, how neat would it be when there's a person in front of me, that I don't, I don't get distracted. That would be really cool. But I was like single and I had a daughter and I made decent money. And so I just filed it away in the back of my head that, you know, when I retire or some point in my life, if the opportunity presents, I, I think I would love to consider being a therapist. And then the opportunity presented itself like a few years later. And I got remarried. I had twins. I was Uh, Home with them, they were premature, and we agreed that I was going to stay home because they didn't have any immune system whatsoever. They couldn't really go to daycare. Well, they could have if they had to, but they didn't have to. And so we decided we'd stay home. Well, I never in my life. Okay, there was like one month I sat still and did nothing and played video games, but that was it. One month between jobs. Other than that, I've never sat still. And so once my twins were home from the hospital. I turned to my husband and I said well like how long am I gonna stay home I'm like okay I'm not working so like how long is this how can I, can I ride this train and he <laughs> said like I don't know they said like three years before they have immune system that sounds kind of good and over here on my computer and I said I can get a master's in three years how about I do that while they're sleeping and he said sure i thought like Oh. And so that's how I became a therapist. Then after I became a therapist, I worked for six years. I Then I went into private practice and I found out that therapists are really struggling around issues of business and counting. And then that's how I became accountant again.
2: So you let the accounting kind of go for a bit as after the pregnancy and then becoming a therapist and then just the realization like, wow, therapists kind of don't know this stuff and we don't learn it in grad school for the most part. And this could be a cool way to bridge the gap.
3: Yeah. And I really let the accounting go. I thought that was it. I put it behind me. I had my spreadsheet skills. And I love spreadsheets. And when I was getting my hours, I would show people my spreadsheet to track my hours. And they would say that thing's really, really insane and scary. Um, And and that was it. That was the only thing I was going to do anymore was my being a therapist and have cool spreadsheets. And when I was in a consultation group, someone brought up the Profit First book, someone brought up budgeting. And at first I was like, no, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. But then because they had a need and they were struggling um, and they had questions and I can't really keep my mouth shut. I was like, well, fine, I'll help. Let me see what I can do. And that's really how I got started is, is wanting to help people. And helping therapists is one of the most rewarding populations of people on earth to help because therapists are so appreciative when you help them. I love helping no matter what. Even if people aren't appreciative, I like helping. But man, therapists are appreciative when you help them out.
2: Yeah, I imagine so. And it shows as an outsider, you know, looking in how committed you are to people feeling confident in stuff that really overwhelms them and makes them feel like I don't want to do this anymore because I think it's so it can be so daunting when you're thinking like quarterly taxes and deductions and how much am I going to owe at the end of the year and how do I make sense of any of this so it's wonderful that you exist in both worlds and I guess it's a good reframe to think like even though I don't know if I wanted to become an accountant again becoming an accountant and working with therapists is actually helping therapists Just like I'm helping my therapy clients in one way or another.
3: Mm -hmm. That's to me what makes it rewarding. And sometimes I think of it as not even like I think of it as educational. I'm doing education. I don't prepare people's taxes. If anyone emails me and says, do you prepare taxes? No, I don't want to prepare taxes. I help people understand the topics. I bridge that gap between being a business owner and going to the accountant so you can show up there ready to have that conversation. What I think the main thing I do is I help people believe that they can handle it and have a frame of reference for it so it's not overwhelming. And that I really like doing. So when I say to someone, I know this feels like it's a lot to understand, but you saw these clients and that revenue is just a number that reflects the clients that you saw. You ran those credit cards. You paid these bills. And now the bills are just organized in a different way. And you need to look and say, does it make sense? And you're going to know if it makes sense. We're going to look at it together. We're going to look at it in a format that's going to allow you to tell if it makes sense. And when they look, they're like, oh, I can handle this. Good. That's to me where the satisfaction is, because then they'll walk away. And that's something that they'll always keep. I can do that.
2: I love that. And I think that just is inspirational for a lot of people because I think every therapist can be a great clinician in a lot of ways, but a lot of therapists really do struggle with the other side of practice ownership, which is the business ownership side. And I see a lot of wonderful clinicians who can't necessarily like make sense of it kind of close up shop because they just it's too daunting, it's too overwhelming, it's too scary. And then I see some other therapists who are like business savvy and they they do really, really well. And it's really helpful to have that resource to say like, this doesn't make it less scary at times. Like paying taxes, in my opinion, sucks. I hate it. I hate when my accountant reaches out to me, but I also feel much more prepared to do so, and it gives me confidence throughout the year to kind of plan accordingly so that at the end of the year, I'm not scratching my head like, how do I owe $50,000 right now? And like, where am I going to get it? Because I think I I see a lot of those horror stories, and I imagine that you do too at times.
3: Absolutely. And I think the the people in really bad situations um, for tax-wise, either because they've had uh, bad accountants, not enough help, too overwhelmed. Um, And now because of the negative experiences, they're really avoidant or extremely, you know, a lot of emotions around dealing with this topic. And it's so important when you're in that position to be able to work with someone who isn't judgmental whether it's me or somebody else, but that is a judgmental, isn't going to make you feel bad because it is a hard topic. And if you haven't had the support and education around it up to a certain point, you could have gotten yourself into a bad situation, but there isn't, there isn't a tax situation that can't be fixed. There isn't an accounting situation that can't be fixed. There, there are relationships and families that we might, you know, take a lot of healing and never really get completely fixed. But accounting and taxes can be fixed. And as long as you have the right person to work with, no matter where you are on the spectrum of it's a disaster to I kind of almost have a handle of it, it's all solvable. And that's one of the nice things about accounting, even though people love to hate taxes. It's one of the nice things about accounting and taxes is that there's an answer. There's an answer. There's a resolution and everything's fixable
2: yeah that's a good perspective and i hope it's helpful for people listening to hear that because i think like at the end of the day they're numbers right and it has to make sense logically after we look at them and evaluate them and hopefully that means that they don't hold as much power over us once we start to better understand the process i imagine there's a lot of shamefulness too that comes into this would be like what i don't know i don't know so to speak and i talk to a lot of therapists about this all the time in my coaching but like I know that accounting can bring up shame for therapists in general of like, I'm a shitty business person. I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't save enough. Like all of those narratives how, how are kind of going on beneath the surface. And, you know, I know that people like yourself out there are really, really supportive of combating those narratives because it's like it's okay. It's not a reflection of you. And we can better understand how to move forward now that we have a sense of what's going on. Do you see a lot of shamefulness in terms of like a lot of the number stuff and the money stuff that
3: comes up? Huge amounts of shamefulness come around money in general. But in particularly around, um, you know, when we're talking about therapists and private practice, it can, it can have real, con- real consequences to have shamefulness around money because the main thing that shame makes us do is avoid. And when we avoid our money situations, we generally will make not great decisions. We might make really worse decisions or we might just not make good ones because making good financial decisions comes from facing it, looking at it. And whether that's something you just force yourself to do or whether you something that you say, well, I need a person to help me. And if they help, if I get the right help from the right non-judgmental person, then I can face it. You either find someone you can face it with or you figure out a way to face it because that's gonna lead to better decisions. And there can be a need to heal money trauma and look at where, you know, your money issues come from. But the one thing I see time and time again that almost everyone needs is an understanding of how it works. Because even if you go deep into figuring out where the shame came from, what messages you got from your parents or from siblings or peers, whatever those messages are, you can overcome them with knowledge and a plan. Because then you're like, well, whatever's happened before, however bad it is. And whatever healing I need to do around that, I know what I need to look at. I have a process for it because especially around business finances, you need a process. Preferably a weekly process, at least a monthly process. You need a process. You need to know what to look at. You need to know how to know it's accurate. So that you can have that experience that people have in my Facebook group. I did it and now I get to move on. Otherwise, when we avoid, it just sits and hangs over us all the time. And that is draining of our energy. And it is not helpful or good. It's not healthy. It doesn't lead to have balance in our lives. But when we have a process, we know what to do. We know how to know we did it right. Boom. Do it. Move on. Come back. Do it. Move on. And now it doesn't
0: You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Nick Westergaard hosts a great podcast called On Brand. Nick, tell us what these fine folks will get out of listening.
1: On Brand features my conversations with smart marketers and agency professionals, as well as those working for innovative brands like Adobe, Ben & Jerry's, MasterCard, Salesforce, and more. Tune in and you'll learn how to tell stronger stories and build better brands.
0: Amazing. Where can people
1: subscribe? You can go to onbrandpodcast.com, find the show at marketingpodcast.net, or search for On Brand with Nick Westergaard wherever you get your podcasts.
0: That's two A's in Westergaard. You heard him. Go subscribe. And now,
2: pause for a word from our sponsors. Most of you who are listening are probably private or group practice owners. I know how important it is to save money in your business, and I also know how important it is to have live, quality, responsive customer service. That's why we switched our entire group practice from a well-known EHR to Therapy Notes last year. If you're coming from another at EHR, Therapy Notes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of five stars on TrustPilot.com and Google. Find out what more than 100,000 mental health professionals already know. And try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just go to TherapyNotes.com and enter promo code ATPP. They also have e-prescription software available and included, meaning that you do not have to have separate platforms for your medical billers and your medication management team. This is incredibly helpful and it makes sure that everything feels streamlined. Go to TherapyNotes.com and enter promo code ATPP. Yeah, I love that. And then it's ultimately like reinforcing it, right? I did it. Boom. I understand it. Now next year, I know how to do it again. I build on this. And I see a lot of like heads buried under the sand, so to speak. And it starts to kind of get heavier and heavier and like starts to build on itself with people who are like, "Eh, I'm not touching this. I'm not hiring an accountant for my business. And that really is a pet peeve of mine. Unless you like truly understand accounting, if you're going to start a small business, I almost always preach like treating your business like a business and having the right teammates in place so that your business can operate optimally so that you don't have to stress it all the time or you don't feel like you're always playing catch up. And I think that most accountants that I've experienced typically do free consultations or at least a free initial like 15 minute conversation about can I help you or not. And I just encourage therapists to reach out and especially to trusted resources. I know you have a resource list of people that you trust in terms of vetting, but I really do think that's crucial because otherwise it's really easy to get behind it and just like avoid, 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 like you're saying. And I just want to like reinforce that because I just see so much of that, whether it be accountants or lack of like financial planning. I see a lot of that too for therapists where it's like, I want a retirement. I want to create these like accounts that my money goes into. I don't know anything about it, so I'm not going to do it.
3: Yeah. um, I think that with accountants, you know, sometimes people avoid accountants because they've had a really bad experience with one. And there are a lot of people out there that are accountants that might know how to do taxes and might not understand business themselves and don't maybe understand people or how to have good uh, business relationships with their clients. And so you can absolutely have a bad experience that's going to make you want to avoid. It can be really useful to have a good one. I mean, People have a legitimate right to do their own taxes if they want, but sometimes just having that person to check with or consult with to make sure it looks like you're on track, you're not missing anything. I see people at every end of the spectrum in terms of sort of financial uh, savvy or comfort level. And, you know, sometimes it's just that I just need someone to look at it. And someone's like, I you know when I need regular checking. I need accountability partner. Whatever it is you need, find that person. Whether it's me or someone to do your taxes or or bookkeeper, whatever it is, you find that person that can work with you. But then on the financial investment side, there's this whole other thing that happens where if you didn't grow up, and let's say your parents didn't talk to you about their savings or they didn't save the the key to your future, financially and financial security, because you're not most like I would like, I would like to work a really long time. I would like to be a therapist as long as I have hearing and um can communicate and i um so i'm not that big on like retirement but i would like to you know work part time and stuff the one key if i have one tip for anybody and i'm not a financial planner is you have to live below your means that doesn't mean tomorrow you have to live below your means it means that when you start making more money you do not want to start spending all that money some of the increase needs to go towards retirement or savings or investment So that at some point, there is a level of your earning and a level of what you need to live, and they are getting further and further apart. That's how you have a secure financial future in retirement. And when you start to get to that point, then you absolutely need a financial advisor. And by the way, accountants are not financial advisors. Your accountant is not going to tell you how to invest money. They can't. It's a totally different profession, and people don't know that. You can have a financial planner that doesn't know anything about taxes and your accountants and tax people don't know anything about financial advising unless they've gone and also gotten dual certification in that field. So, you know, that's, that's one of the things I see a lot is that people make more money and they're like, okay, so then I just can make more money. That's great. No, there's another layer. Save it. That's
2: great advice. And for people listening, I know when we're making more money, we're more excited. We're like waiting to that Friday when I pay myself and then I'm going to take myself out to like awesome dinners and trips. And I, I'm guilty of that at times too. But in reality, just the recognition of like, got to start being able to save because as self-employed individuals, like we don't have a lot of the luxuries of saving like as if you were working a W-2 job, especially if you're not an S Corp or paying yourself through payroll, right? So like being able to open a SEP IRA or a Roth IRA, and we're not gonna talk about that shit today, but ultimately, like I don't care if you invest like 30, 40, $50 a week, just do something. Because so often when I'm working in my coaching programs, people are like, I wanna start an investment, but like I don't know how and I don't have the money and I always think like $20 a week is better than $0 a week. And if you can just get that mindset going so that you can really start to kind of have a plan, because otherwise I think a lot of us just kind of plan to working until we absolutely can't, and then and then what? And I have definitely been in that mindset too, where I'm like, ah, I'm just gonna work until I die. And I don't know if I really want to do that anymore. I want to be able to have some future. So it's just something I see a lot of for sure. Um, one thing that's coming to mind is like common mistakes that you see, maybe like accounting mistake 101 of like, what are the big mistakes that you see therapists making in the accounting world of like, hey, these are things that are commonly done or kind of get you into hot water pretty quickly?
3: Well, um, so one of the biggest mistakes I see that is so easily resolved. And if you find yourself making this mistake, I'll help you fix it. Find someone that fixed it. This is fixable is that thinking that you can't look at your accounting records or that you don't need accounting records. It is pretty easy once you get things set up to have an accounting system that you spend only a few minutes a week either either running it or looking at it if someone else runs it. But you have to look at your numbers. And I really recommend people looking at them every week. So what I see a lot is I see people saying, well, I have QuickBooks, but I don't know how to use it. And in one hour, typically, sometimes an hour and a half, I can help someone at least get it together or get it on track to the point where now they know where to go and what to look at and then and then think, you know, believe that they can do it. And it might be that QuickBooks isn't the right system for them and that they would do far better with a spreadsheet or maybe they're using a spreadsheet, but they've outgrown it and they do need to upgrade to some software. Finding the right fit and then so that you look at it. So I always say the best accounting system is the one you're gonna use. And it doesn't have to be like the one that your PFF colleague likes the most. It could be, think about how does your brain work? What motivates you? What you're gonna be willing to track and then track it and know what your numbers are. That's, if you don't know what you make and if you're finding out, and if, if this year you found out in February or March what you made in your business last year, you can't make timely decisions. It's, too, it's, it's, it's fine. At least you got your taxes done. You found out what you made. That's good. But knowing timely what you're making is so much more rewarding. You're doing all this hard work. Like look and see what, wh- what the results of your work are. And then you can tell like, oh gosh, you know what? Like one year, August was my best month of the whole year. If I didn't look at my numbers, I would not have known that. And so that informs my decisions about when to take my vacation the next year. So that's a big one. Um, You said something earlier that about treating your business like a business. And if I put that together with something else you said, which is, you know, the we don't get the benefits, you know, we have to we have to give ourselves our own benefits. But we absolutely can do that if we treat our business like a business, we grow it to the point. People say, oh, it's just so horrible to be self-employed because you don't get any paid time off. You know what? You know how companies give paid time off? They set aside a little cash and then they give it to you when you're not working. You can absolutely do that for yourself. Like when you're working, take, you know, $20 and put it in savings and take $30 and put it in, put $20 in your retirement, put $30 in your savings and let it accumulate. And then when you decide to go take a week off, you pay yourself. Guess what? Now you have paid time off. And now you have a retirement plan and your business can pay for your health insurance. And pretty soon you are running your business like a business and you are better off than you were ever as an employee and you're actually loving it.
2: I don't really have anything to say to that because it's such great advice. So I think that's the way to really start to understand, like, this is how you build it in, because that's always what I hear, you know, when I'm helping uh, clinicians start out and start their businesses and practices and. It's like, well, how do I build paid time often? How do I build time or money for insurance or for et cetera? And it's exactly what Jenny just said. It's just really putting that money away so that you can give it back to yourself when you need it. And that goes for sick time. That goes for like mental health days, CEU time, like all of the stuff that we need to pre-plan for that we often don't. And then we find ourselves kind of scrambling when we need to. And I think that that's what creates that like, oh, my God, like I took three days off unexpectedly and now I'm fucked because I didn't have anything built, you know, saved away. And I get that not everyone's going to be able to do that at first. and, And for those of you starting out, you may not be able to do that initially right away. But having that plan of action and really being intentional about how you do that. One thing I'm curious about, and it's mainly because I've been hosting these retreats for therapists, is a big misconception, it seems like, around retreats and vacationing and planning around conferences is that You get to just go on a free vacation and deduct every single thing that comes with it. And I know that's not true, but I also want to talk about that because I know that that is a common misconception for people. So do you mind talking a little bit about what that looks like?
3: So, one of my things in 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 the mental health realm of things is that let me just back up and say this. When I went to therapy as an uh you know person going through a divorce, so I was in my thirties, and I walked into therapy, and the therapist said, "So, you know, how can I help you?" And I said, "Well, I don't think I would know a healthy relationship if it hit me over the head, and even if it did, I don't know how to be a healthy person in one, (laughs) like." And I, my goal was to leave therapy knowing what a healthy relationship was. And after two years, I felt like at least for myself, I knew what a healthy relationship and one of the most critical aspects to me of something that's healthy is there's balance in it. If you are flying around at the extremes, probably not in a healthy place. Now, there can be exceptions and someone can email me and let me know what the exceptions are. But just as a general rule, if you're at the extremes, you ask yourself, this is feel good. So I would apply that same principle to deducting travel expenses is that you don't don't want to be like, I can't deduct anything. I'll get in trouble. I'll get audited. It will be horrible. I better just not even go. No, that's an extreme. You also don't want to be so far on the other end that it was like I deducted my spa treatment at the hotel, and um, because I needed to look good at the conference, you you want there to be a balance. And where they, where where I draw the line and where I think the IRS draws the line is is it business related? So if you are going on a self care retreat, self care is not a business expense. The IRS expects all of us. To care for ourselves, not just therapists, firefighters, doctors and nurses, EMTs, all of them, most of those who are W-2 employees very often and do not get to deduct any business expenses are expected to, on their own time, get massages, go to therapy, you know, get chiropractic care. And it's no different for us. So if you're going on a retreat because you need to relax and it's basically a vacation, that's not a business trip. For it to be a business trip, it needs to have some kind of agenda and structure that relates to education. So the business deductions for um, the business deductions for, for trips and conferences fall under the category of business deduction of education. So you want it to some way be educational, not self-care. Now, it's okay if there's some self-care going on. You know, if there's some meditation happening during whatever, that's totally fine. But that needs to not be the primary purpose. So there should be some kind of an agenda about what you're learning that you're going to learn and use in your clinical practice. One way that I differentiate this is that if I went with my spouse to a conference for couples, I'm attending as a partner in a couple. I'm not attending as a clinician. If I go to a conference for clinicians, well, that's business. The other one was personal. There's a difference. So you want to have the conference have some clinical connection that you can say with a straight face. And I like to say, could you sit down with one of your grandparents across the table and say it with a straight face and feel like you weren't bullshitting them?
1: <laughs>
3: like you wouldn't, you, you could imagine bullshitting an IRS agent. You bullshit your grandparents? No, your, your, your elderly neighbor. Would they be like, hmm? no, can you say it with a straight face? Then while you're on the trip, Think about, is this a business deduction? So if it's happening on a day of a conference, if it's your food, if it's your hotel, if it's your transportation, the day you get there, the days of the training and the travel day home, all can be business. But it is so nice to be able to extend your trip a few days. And if you want to do that, two things. You need to have fewer personal days than you have business days. So you can, if I go to a conference and I'm like, the conference starts on Thursday and ends on Saturday, I'm going to go Wednesday, business day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, conference days. And Sunday is my travel day home business day. I'm going to count that's five days. So I only want to have max four personal days. On those personal days, I'm still going to deduct my ho- my airline because I still had to get there and back no matter how many days I stay. But my hotel on the personal days, I'm not going to deduct. My transportation on the personal days. And then anything during the whole trip, it's like, just for me, I went on a tour, we rode the river and we looked at the sites. That's personal. So just be thinking in your mind, is this business related or is this for me? And then separate that out. And that's all you got to do. And then you can ask in my Facebook group.
2: Wonderful advice. And I think like so many of us need getaway time. And I think destination CEUs and conferences and retreats are becoming more and more popular right now. And maybe it's COVID related and like being stir crazy or just simply wanting connection and travel. But I really love that advice for people because I think there is that misconception of like 100% of this is just deductible. Or like if we talk business for 35 seconds (laughs) that this is deductible, right? Like um so that that's really really fantastic to to think about it that way about like is this for me is this for business right and and to have that separation and also the breakdown of like business time personal time and extending the trip i think that's really um a big piece of it too i love that yeah other other things that immediately jump out where you're like yeah this is pretty common and you probably should change the way you do it or like think about it this way like One thing I'm thinking about right now is like uh, maybe business meals and networking. I know the IRS kind of shifted some of the deduction because of COVID to like stimulate small business, but networking experience, like some people would say, if you go out to lunch and you talk about your business for five minutes, then we can deduct this lunch.
3: Yeah. And you're not, if you're going out with your friends, you know, then, then, and just not at all talking about business or five minutes, then it it really shouldn't be deducted. But it is not very hard to go out with your colleagues and talk about um, things that are business related, because you know, especially if your colleagues are also in private practice, it's not that hard to have the bulk of your conversation be related to who's open, especially if there's a group of you who's open, who's taking clients, what trainings have you taken recently that are good? Uh, you know, as to how can we better support each other in business? And uh, what you want to do is document who is at the meal, what the business purpose of the meal was, and then also keep the detail receipt. Don't keep the credit card receipt that says, yeah, you know, I, I went out to, you know, such and such coffee house um, and I spent $30. They want to see what did you spend $30 on? And if I say I had a networking event with two other people and there's three coffees on the bill, okay, that makes it in a couple muffins, then that seems to fit with what I said happened and that's what they want to see the the government doesn't have like you know everything mic'd where they're going to go around and say look like you're having too much fun Jenny at that networking <laughs> event but what they do want to see is that you took the time you treated it like a business and you took the time to document what was spent why it was spent and who attended. And if you do that, you're not going to have any problem with your networking deductions. And personally, even though I'm not at all a marketing person, I think going out with colleagues in private practice is one of the best things that you can do to grow your practice because then they get to know you, get to know them. And who are they going to think of when they don't, when they have a case that either isn't appropriate for them, but it would be appropriate for you, or they are full and they need to pass it on. They're going to think about you know what, gosh, when I sat down with Patrick, that he really seemed to know his stuff on this topic. And I got a, I And I got a client that is in this realm of sending Patrick that, you know, that to me, that's, that's really important. And, and that's how I started my private. That's how I feel like my private practice finally took office because I started hanging out with other therapists.
2: I preach that all the time. Networking and relationship building are so crucial and they're really low cost to just go out for lunch or coffee or whatever the case may be. And then all of a sudden, like you said, then I know Jenny and I'm like, oh, Jenny works with clients A, B and C. When they come across my radar, I'm going to refer to Jenny because as human beings, I think we're way more invested in the success of businesses and people that we know and trust. And I think that it's almost like on the forefront of our brains when it's like, oh, there's a referral request. Ooh, I got a phone call that's not a good fit for me. And it's like, oh, but it is a good fit for Jenny. I'm going to send them to her. I just think it's really important to think about it that way.
3: I feel stressed when I have someone I need to refer. I don't want to send them to someone who isn't going to call them back. I don't want to send them to somebody who isn't going to be in any way, shape, or form a good fit. I mean, they might not be a good fit, but I don't want to, I want to at least give them a good chance. Uh, I feel like I'm, you know, as a person in need, I can't help them. I want to hand them off to someone who potentially can. So when I have a, a someone that I know is a good referral uh, source, I'm like, oh, yeah, so much less stressful. I'm so glad to have that person and networking can give you that. So it's not even when you think about the deducting it, it is a really valuable part of your business, which makes it business related.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. And again, therapists who are listening who maybe are more frugal in nature, like it is not only a good marketing strategy, it is very low cost. So Take advantage of that because it, we know how to build relationships. I can go down a rabbit hole about this right now. I'm not going to do it, but you are experts at relationship building. That is all networking is. It does not have to be salesy, sleazy, anything like that. That is like the first word that we often associate. Uh, but yes, very, very good advice and uh, and very good information. So coming back together, like just the, the marriage of accounting and, and therapy seems like it's really a really wonderful combination. And I imagine also as someone who has ADHD, kind of helps stimulate different parts of the brain to keep you excited about work and like kind of moving from from, from realm to realm at times.
3: Yeah. Well, and I, I feel like there's these two parts of my brain and being able to kind of do both really helps. When I was in graduate school, one of the professors said, as a therapist, you need to do more than one thing so that you don't get burned out. And to me, this is my other thing. So that really helps me to feel that balance and not getting too worn out on one thing but you said something patrick about relationships that made me think you know if even if i had a dysfunctional relationship with one of my parents growing up and even if i had you know really struggled with other girls in middle school and it colored what i think about friendships today I still could say, you know what, but I'm going to make this next relationship I'm entering into try to be a healthy one. And I think it's good to think about your business as that way. Even if I've had bad experiences with money and bad experiences with accountants in the past, I've got a business in front of me right now and I'm going to have a good relationship with that business. And that means understanding the money, looking at it, knowing what's happening, not avoiding it and getting support if I need it.
2: I love that. That's a great, kind of closing note to this wonderful conversation because that's a really healthy approach and you know if you have a bad accountant experience it happens right we talk about human beings being human beings and bad bartending experiences bad waiters bad doctors bad therapists bad accountants it goes hand in hand so yeah try really hard not to let that dissuade you from like pursuing another option with someone else who probably could be a better fit for you and that goes without saying for all professional relationships and i'm going to circle back to networking one more time relationship building jenny and i would not be sitting here if she and i hadn't connected a year ago just kind of just talking and shooting the shit over covid and having a lot of free time in our houses so i think it's really imperative to really do these types of things and to reach out and connect and, and not have ultimatums or agendas you know ulterior motives is what i meant to say not ultimatums my brain is fried by the end of the day but um I do think that makes a big difference. And, you know, seeing Jenny's success from afar, I'm just really like applauding it all the time and like cheering you on because I really respect what you're doing and what you're offering the therapist community. It really is a wonderful, wonderful resource. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Tell the audience a little bit about where they can find more of what you're offering, because I know you've got a membership, a Facebook group and all the cool stuff that you have out there in the world.
3: So I try to keep it simple because it works for my brain to keep it simple. And if it's complicated, I want to do it. So you pretty much, you got two places to go. One is you can go to my website, simpleprofit.com and you can find a free, you know, how to what, what do I need to do if I'm starting my business? You can find blogs that have lots of free information you can find my membership, which is a paid group. And the membership, by the way, is for any business type. So if you know someone else, you have a friend, they're starting a business and it's maybe a um, hair salon, styling salon, and you're starting your private practice, you can both join my membership. That's on my website. Um, and then if you're a clinician, and this is only for clinicians, if you're mental in the mental health field, you can go to Facebook and Simple Profit for Mental Health Clinicians and join the Facebook group where I have even more um, free resources.
2: Love it. And that will all be in the show notes for everyone listening. And I just want to give a plug to the membership. I mean, it's $35 a month right now you are getting so much content and resource and a lot of Jenny and a lot of valuable information. So again, treat your business like a business. It is really, really important. And Jenny, I want you. I just want to say thank you for making the time and just coming on here and giving such valuable insight into such a topic that maybe shouldn't cause us as much stress as it does.
3: And maybe by listening, it'll be your start on the road to having it be less stressful.
2: Ooh, that could be a good episode name thank you for that. <laughs> I always pick through the transcription and I'm like, oh, what, what stands out to me? Um, I, I just want to thank you again. And to everyone listening to the All Things Private Practice podcast, there are new episodes coming out every Sunday morning. Like, download, subscribe, and share on all major platforms. If you want to find more of me, go to allthingspractice.com, private practice and entrepreneurial retreats, coaching, business building, and the podcast as well and the All Things Private Practice Facebook group if you are a clinician. And we will see you next week. Doubt yourself, do it anyway.
0: You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Nick Westergaard hosts a great podcast called On Brand. Nick, tell us what these fine folks will get out of listening.
1: On Brand features my conversations with smart marketers and agency professionals, as well as those working for innovative brands like Adobe, Ben & Jerry's, MasterCard, Salesforce, and more. Tune in and you'll learn how to tell stronger stories and build better brands. Amazing.
0: Where can People subscribe.
1: You can go to onbrandpodcast.com, find the show at marketingpodcast.net, or search for On Brand with Nick Westergaard wherever you get your podcasts.
0: That's two A's in Westergaard. You heard him. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.